0: can we take the guesswork out of the picture, right? If they're deciding between which three drugs, we can at least try those three drugs and say, well, this one has the best chance of working, and not because we're saying so, it's the patient's own tumor talking to us, right? Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Broman, your host, and I'm Scientific Affairs Lead at Illumina. In this episode, we'll be discussing genomics and research in precision medicine and oncology. According to the U.S. National Cancer Institute, cancer is one of the leading causes of death around the world, and an estimated 38% of people will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lives. Now, Cancer as a disease has also been with us for a very long time. In fact, historians have found scientific reports of cancer from 5,000-year-old Egyptian papyruses. Fortunately, cancer treatment has evolved quite a lot since then, but still, up until the early 1990s, the mechanism of action for most chemotherapeutic drugs was to kill proliferating or dividing cells. So cancer cells are definitely proliferative, but normal cells can also divide. So these cytotoxic drugs could, and did, and do have serious side effects. A really seminal event in targeted chemotherapy was the development in the early 1990s of the first tyrosine kinase inhibitor called imatinib, or Gleevec. What made imatinib special is that it targeted the specific BCR-ABL tyrosine kinase fusion protein that was found in a subset of individuals with chronic myelogenous leukemia. And it worked. So that started a revolution in precision medicine, leading scientists all over the world to look for specific cancer biomarkers and to develop drugs to hit specific cancer targets. To talk about this exciting issue, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Ramanuj Dasgupta to the show. Ram is senior group leader at the Genome Institute of Singapore, and he's an expert in personalized cancer research. Also joining us today is his team member at GIS, Shumei Cha. Listen to Ram and Shumei explain how they develop patient-derived cancer models to help us understand the biology of cancer. So let's start out our discussion by, you know, maybe, Rom, if you'd like to start and describe what you mean by precision medicine and why cancer as a human disease, you know, requires this sort of precision medicine approach.
0: So precision medicine is um, about giving the right drug to the right patient at the right time. And more recently, we are also thinking about how right dilution and right dosing is also becoming important. But the entire idea of this being that we need to individualize treatment based on the patient's own genetics, perhaps other characteristics of the patients there, metabolic profiles, their environment, their habits, their daily lives, etc. But in terms of research, it's really to try to identify tailor-made medicines or tailor-made drugs that would individualize treatment in the context of cancer based on a patient's genetics and gene expression.
1: And most of the cancer treatments that have been discovered and approved over the years are quite blunt tools, right? I mean, many of the treatments have been drugs that block or kill cells that proliferate. So let's put this in context a little bit. And maybe, Shume, if you want to start this discussion off on basically the background of precision medicine. I mean, what were some of the first successful approaches you know, developing a targeted treatment for cancer. Do you have any specific examples that, of that approach that uh, you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: So I think there are several targets that have been identified over the years. So I think CML mutations, as well as EGFR mutations, that's most common in the non-small cell lung carcinoma. But over the years, I think where drugs have been developed and they have been used uh, effectively as well in the clinics targeting several of these mutations.
0: Uh, so one of the efforts for precision oncology was trying to figure out who's going to respond and who's not going to respond. And because each individual patient is very different, each cancer type is also very different. However, even the same cancer type across different patients can be very different. So there's interpatient as well as intratumor heterogeneity and what happens with intratumor heterogeneity there are different subclonal populations of cells that can respond very differently to a given drug so in an ideal world we would identify right we would like to identify therapeutic vulnerabilities of these individual clonal or subclonal populations so that we can think of combinations of drugs that can wipe out the entire tumor now typically like you mentioned earlier Standard of care is really killing fast dividing cells, and but however, we know from a lot of literature in the past 30 or odd years. With the advent of molecular biology is that in fact the resistant cells or the pre-malignant cells are often in fact not fast dividing there are many slow dividing dormant cells and so you can kill off all the fast dividing cells but the really bad ones are they are just hiding in plain sight and once you relieve the selection pressure for drugs and clinically you don't see any tumor they can come back again right so Part of precision oncology, precision medicine, is really defining some of these subclonal populations and understanding their therapeutic vulnerabilities.
1: Can I come back to this concept of the heterogeneity of cancers and of the tumor? That heterogeneity, is that something that's been appreciated historically, or is that a more recent phenomenon that scientists are discovering this kind of heterogeneity?
2: With a lot of the emerging technology, I think we've powered by single-cell RNA-seq That's how we, I think, scientists are beginning to understand the differences or the intratumor heterogeneity. Before the presence of this technology, I think, well, I think you can think of it like bulk RNA-seq. We are essentially looking at the tumour, maybe at a 4X microscope. And when we're looking now at uh, using single-cell RNA-seq technology, we're actually going down to maybe 100x. All right, It's giving us high resolution as to what exactly constitute uh, the entire tumour
0: And not just really the heterogeneity at the level of tumor cells per se, but also heterogeneity in terms of the microenvironment, which is the endothelial cells and the immune cells, how that changes between disease and normal, and can we target, for example, the tumor environment itself. So yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement in the field, basically, trying to get towards heterogeneity and trying to understand how that heterogeneity drives tumor evolution into resistant, refractory metastatic disease, yeah.
1: In 2017, you published what I think is a really fascinating article in uh, Nature Communications. And the title for those who want to go and take a look at it is Phenotype-Driven Precision Oncology as a Guide for Clinical Decisions One Patient at a Time. I'm really fascinated by the approach for precision medicine that you discussed in this paper. Why did you do this study? What research questions were you trying to address? What were you trying to understand with the study?
2: So I think when we first started this project, we were really interested first to find out if uh, we can first generate models for patient tumours. And if we can, can we then actually use these models as a proxy for patient response in vitro? for instance. And if they do, then can we actually mine these models for biomarkers? So what the paper actually showed is that yes, we can actually generate models from the patients. Uh, In fact, we have done so for several cancer indications right now and specifically looking at indication that actually doesn't have clear biomarker discovery.
1: I'd like to discuss or give you the opportunity to kind of discuss in detail the kind of model that you set up. So my understanding is that these are primary cells that you isolated from patients, and, and then you started screening for, you know, phenotype, genotype. Can you talk a little bit about just technically how you set that screen up?
0: Like I mentioned earlier, much of the driving forces for precision medicine is genomics driven, Right. The idea, again, let's sequence everything, identify actionable mutations, actionable drivers and then develop drugs against those um, actionable drivers. I think it's a very worthwhile effort, however, that takes time and money. Much of what we were driven by is really talking to the clinicians in Singapore who are close collaborators and their question to us was always, well, how do I treat the patient in the clinic right now, right? And so that's where we started thinking that perhaps response itself could be used as the best biomarker for response in the clinic, as long as you're measuring response in a patient-personalized model, right? And that's where this phenotype-driven angle comes in, right? We simply want to measure traits, phenotypes. It's not new. Entire field of GWAS is basically traits and connecting it to genetic SNPs, right? So it's phenome to genome. Right, But what we wanted to understand, well, let's just try to figure out if these patients are going to respond or not, at least their patient models are respond or not. If they don't respond or if they're going to respond, that's fine. If they don't respond, what's the point of giving the drug in the first place? However, if they don't respond, then dive into the genomics, try to figure out why they don't respond. And mechanistically identify the mechanisms, perhaps, the genes that are responsible for the resistance, as well as try to identify, so that could be potential biomarkers. However, some of them could be actionable, right? And therefore, could be potential therapeutic targets as well, right? So the idea was that, well, every time the patient's tumor gets resected, we bring it to the lab and basically grow a micro avatar of that patient's tumor, right? It's simply not growing in the patient's body anymore, but now in a dish. And you can grow them as 3D organoids or spheroids or simply as primary cell lines, right? However, the most important thing is that it's different from the traditional approaches of just using commercial cell lines because these primary cell lines, and we've shown that, they retain the original characteristics of the patient's tumor, retain the heterogeneity retain properties even when it's taken out of the context of the... Even in culture, which must be saying something about, and there's something we're very interested in, is epigenetic memory. They retain those characteristics of the patient tumor, and therefore suggesting that these might serve as ideal surrogates to simply test whether they're going to respond or not to current standard of care the advantage of having these models is that not only can you screen against for therapeutic vulnerability against the drug that the patient we know is being given in the clinic, but you can test out a whole variety of drugs, right? So you could get into high throughput and high content screens and identify all the different potential therapeutic vulnerabilities that the patient sample may have, right? And so then in Shomay's paper, what she could show that she could kind of predict, you know, certain, resistance to standard of care but there was also vulnerability against these tyrosine kinase inhibitors but all that we could show is that phenotypically this patient's tumors were extremely sensitive like super sensitive to tyrosine kinase inhibitors right and based on that then it was taken back into the clinic with n of one co-clinical trial because at that point you are basically you do not have so many choices right and then within six weeks, the tumor is practically dissolved, right? Wow. And so that's the thing that was very gratifying. But because of that, our clinical collaborators, Gopal Ayer and Daniel Tan at NCCS, they went back into their clinical cohorts, right, and identified the SNP in a long non-coding RNA, which is predictive, of tyrosine kinase inhibition or sensitivity to TKIs, right? And then further on, the Nature Medicine paper is basically about that, that if you have this mutation in long non-coding RNA, it changes the splicing of EGFR from one isoform to the other, making it from a tyrosine kinase blind to a sensitive, right? So started with phenotype. It's something that genetics would have missed if we had only focused on non synonymous mutations, right?
1: I think it speaks to the importance of looking at all of this data in aggregate, right?
0: Exactly. In aggregate. And I think if you want to look at data and if you want to stratify, I mean, you can start looking at everything. But if you want to stratify what's interesting and what should I look at, I think we should start looking at response first. That's where phenotype comes in, because at least you know something's happening, right?
1: This kind of approach, is this something that you think could become uh, part of clinical care? Do you think there are barriers to setting something like this up? Can you talk about that?
0: Regulatory approvals.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think it's also a lot of acceptance, right? Yeah, getting the patient to understand the approach, take this and accept this approach. Having the doctors uh, understand and even take whatever recommendations are.
0: So these are definitely some of so the potential like a challenges. So there's
1: validation. That's one level mm. of
0: challenge. Exactly. So the first level of challenge is that, can we just uh, validate it using translational observational studies, right? We simply predict who's going to respond, who's not going to respond. But there is no clinical decisions being made, right? You just follow the patients, look to see if your predictions were correct or not. The second study would be then a translational interventional study for example, right? Right now, it could not, I don't think it can happen in the adjuvant setting. However, in the setting of relapse and metastasis, we have fewer options, we have very few options. What we can say is that maybe if you have an option of giving, say, three different drugs based on clinical history and based on the clinician's experience, right, for that particular cancer, can we take the guesswork out of the picture? right, if they're deciding between which three drugs, we can at least try those three drugs and say, well, this one has the best chance of working, and not because we're saying so, it's the patient's own tumor talking to us, right? So you have these
1: validation challenges, you have translational challenges, and you have these basically infrastructure challenges, the technology, right? So what are some of those barriers currently?
0: So what we are trying to develop uh, models that can be rapidly screened against a few drugs, that, say, the clinicians can suggest, because that's what can go into the clinic, right? Yeah, very quickly. So, that can be done. It's not that we cannot expand it in a limited fashion. However, the major effort right now, apart from validation, is simply scaling. So, we want to scale, do it, and as a much larger cohort of patients, so that we can come up with patterns that are common between responders and non responders so that at that point we could just take a biopsy for example and simply do i don't know a nanostring panel or something very quick right something a gene expression and along with say a mutational panel right and be able to predict okay these patients are the best candidates for drug a the others for drug b others for drug c or maybe some for combinations of a and b etc right yeah so the major challenge right now i mean one thing is of course regulatory hurdles because these are not approved tests but we need to validate it before we can actually go into the clinic the second thing is really kind of and i think it's really important people often don't appreciate it it's just educating the patients and the clinicians
1: on the research side, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges, the biggest hurdles or bottlenecks, and how are you trying to overcome those?
2: I think technically, it's really just be able to generate models from patients efficiently. I think right now, we are also moving towards what we think are generating the clinically relevant patient models, right? So. I mean, patient tumour, if you think about it, it's a composition of several different types of cell types. And I think right now we are thinking about or refining the models and just to see if we can also build models that also have the microenvironment in it so that we can hopefully better even get to the point where we can better mimic or even predict the patient response. So I think these are some of the subtle challenges. Um, of course, others that I can think about would be, of course, to see if we can measure different parameters and having better readouts, perhaps, for the screens even. And, you know, coming up with assay platforms that help us define clearly, hopefully accurately, as to whether a patient is truly resistant or whether a patient is a true respondist.
1: Overall, what excites you the most about, you know, applying these multi-omic technologies in the understanding of the biology of cancer? So what are you excited about in the future? What are we likely to see?
0: What excites me the most, perhaps, in the future is that we can affect a paradigm shift in the clinical management of cancer, going from a predominantly reactive modality to becoming proactive in terms of giving the right patient the right drug at the right time. So again, reiterating this tenet of precision oncology. And in the future, what it means or what it could look like is that the patient comes in. What my dream is that we can just to a single cell tumor biopsy. What we've talked about is still much to do with models. Single cell tumor biopsy. Yeah. So we want a biopsy and we do a single cell analysis, basically, and identify all the cell states. Again, by cell states, I mean phenotypic states, which is dictated by the epigenome and the transcriptome, right? You already have the mutations. Can't really avoid that. However, using a single cell tumor biopsy, to be able to predict whether a patient's going to respond or not. And if they don't respond, going a step further, being able to prescribe what may work with a certain degree of probability, of course, right? And that's what excites me. It, it sounds a bit Star Trek-ish, but I think we'll get there.
2: Yeah, so I think, like, just to add on to what Ram was suggesting, it's all about giving the right patient the right drug and hopefully and at the right time. I think one of the goals that we also talk about really was to see if we can one day convert uh, cancer. I mean, by being able to do so, one day be able to convert cancer into something that's analogous to some of the other disease type that we are thinking about, like diabetes. Can we turn cancer into something... Chronic like disease, Exactly, right? and be able to manage it. So maybe people, instead of, you know, start dying from, from this disease, people can start actually living... With, with it. cancer,
1: yeah. Ram and Shume, I can't wait to see what you're going to come up with over the next five or 10 years, and, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing whether your vision's come true for the future. Thanks for taking the time to join us and explain your work, and thanks for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having us.
1: Thank you so much
0: for having us. It was great discussing.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. If you like today's show, why not subscribe to the Genomics Podcast? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. You can also ask your favorite smart speaker to play the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. Anjay Killian, director and founder of Diversity Arrays Technology in Canberra, Australia. We'll be discussing genotyping and genomics right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast.